God wants us to experience peace. Not peace like an absence of conflict, but wholeness, completeness. In fact, that's been the title of this message series, and that's what we're completing here this week in our message. Now, before we get into the message, though, I want to be clear. We're only hitting the tip of the iceberg as we're talking about some big mental health issues. I mean, think about it. We've been talking about anxiety, shame and guilt, depression, and today we're taking on burnout. These are massive issues that if you think that one message from your church will fix that, we've really fooled you. That's why I want you to be aware of the website tlc4u.org forward slash peace. There you're going to find all kinds of resources that are great for taking some next steps in working on some of these things that we're talking about in this message series. I also want to encourage you that if something hits home for you and you go check out this website, just tell somebody about it. That's a huge first step. Now, one of the things that we're doing in this series is we're holding two things in balance, that we believe in counseling, and that's what you're going to find on this website, a lot of resources for counseling. I mean, I personally have a counselor, but, but also we're looking at God's truth through his word because God's word also speaks to some of these really big things, and we want to hold these things together. So would you pray with me as we get into the message here this morning? Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to big issues and things in our life. I pray, Lord, that as we lean into your word and hear once again some wisdom that it has for us, especially in burnout, may your spirit guide and lead us today to cling more to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In studying for this message, uh, I did a little Google searching trying to understand where the state of burnout is during COVID-19. And an article popped up that just jumped off the screen. It, it said this, that nearly half of employees feel burnt out, with one in four attributing it to the COVID-19 pandemic. There was a group that did some research, and what they discovered is that burnout is a very prominent thing in the workforce. It goes on to say that workers indicate that top causes of burnout are their workload, trying to juggle their professional and personal life, a lack of communication, and time pressures. These findings come as millions of American workers face unprecedented circumstances, either working around the clock on the front lines of the pandemic worrying about protecting their business or jobs, or just struggling to work from home. And as I was reading this article, I couldn't happen, I only thought like, well, what would it look like, what would this article look like if we took people that weren't just in the workforce right now? What does what burnout would, would look like as well for people who have been furloughed or who have lost their jobs or, or people who have taken huge hits on their investments or, or for people who have just been stuck in their homes for the last three months and have been seeing the same people and they're just tired of one more Zoom call. They want to see a new face in person. The point is this, I think that this discussion around burnout is really important for us to be discussing today. Now, you might be asking, well, what do we mean by burnout? According to psychology today, burnout is defined as a state of emotional, mental, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress. 
it goes on to say that though it's most often caused by the problems at work, it can also appear in other areas of life, such as parenting, caretaking, or even romantic relationships. Burnout isn't something that's just reserved for your job. It, it seems to creep into all aspects of who we are as people. And, and, and burnout brings on these feelings of, of despair, an absence of hope, a feeling of stress, a feeling of, of defeat and losing. And, and what's important to understand is that we don't start at burnout. Burnout is ultimately an end destination. So as we experience despair or stress or defeat, it's leading us down this path that ultimately gets to burnout. Now, some people will say that there are four stages to burnout. I think this is pretty helpful. They would say that it begins with enthusiasm, and that's a good thing. Like, you should be enthusiastic about your work or the relationship that you're in. And that as you experience stress or defeat or despair, it leads us to the second stage known as stagnation, meaning that we're just tired of acting and working. And, and, and as we experience more stress and defeat, that it moves us to stage three, which is frustration. It's not that we're not doing anything. It's that we're complaining about not doing anything. And then ultimately, as we experience more stress and defeat and despair, it leads us to the last stage known as apathy, which is right on the cusp of burnout. Now, I hope you're tracking with me here because God doesn't want us to experience burnout. That's really at the opposite of what peace really is and how we're defining peace well, according to the Bible. But, but the question then becomes, all right, if I'm not supposed to experience this, then how do I not experience this? Today, I want to I give you two perspective changes that we need to embrace as people to fight burnout. And, and what's important to understand about these two perspective changes is that they can seem to go against sometimes the way our culture thinks. Let me explain. I, I hope, or maybe, you've seen this documentary series, The Last Dance. You know, the 1990s Chicago Bulls, this 10-part documentary series chronicling their six championships in the NBA and, and looking at uh, this in-depth look at, at their coach and uh, the motivation that they had and how they were such a dynamic team, this dynasty in the 90s. And, and one of the things that the, the documentary does is it focuses in on Michael Jordan, you know, the greatest of all time, the goat, as we say now. And, and Michael Jordan, and by the way, if you don't know who Michael is, uh, your parents have some work to do, all right? You're in Chicago. Let's make sure that you catch up on the Bulls here, okay? But, but this documentary series looks at Michael Jordan, and they look at a lot of the motivation behind what made him so great. And one of the episodes, it highlights how Michael had uh, this way of motivating himself. He would embellish stories and, and things that people said to motivate him to not experience defeat. And one of the stories that he shared was uh, when they were playing the Seattle Supersonics in the NBA Finals. Michael Jordan was in a room, and the coach of the Supersonics, George Carl, 
comes into the same room that Michael was in, and he ignores him. And Michael says in the series, he said, that's all I needed to beat them. Because after that, I was so motivated, I took it so personal that I wasn't going to experience defeat against the Supersonics. Well, they ended up winning the NBA championship that year. And, and as I was scrolling through my social media the next day after that episode aired, it was really interesting. I saw this tweet from somebody they wrote that someone tell Michael Jordan the coronavirus is better than him. That's, that's very clever and kind of funny, right? I mean, the, if you don't get it, the idea is that Michael Jordan doesn't lose, so let him take on the coronavirus. Now, of course we know that's a joke, but it kind of hits a nerve to how we think sometimes as people. I mean, we think that we're masters of our own destiny, that if I work a little bit harder, that if I sacrifice a little bit more, I won't experience any defeat in my life. And, and this kind of mindset can ultimately drive us to burnout, which is the first perspective change that we need to embrace, is that we are not in control of all things. I heard someone use this analogy before. They said, our lives are often like a, a kid that's in their car seat. And if you've ever seen one of those toy steering wheels that you give a kid to occupy them, right? Like they're turning the steering wheel left and right, but the reality is they're not actually in control of the car. You just have the illusion of that at times. And, and, and I want to be clear, though. I'm not saying that you, you don't have any control or that you're not making uh, that you don't make any decisions. I believe that like, you should care about the things that you're doing, and you shouldn't be lazy. But to think that Michael Jordan can defeat coronavirus is just as silly to think that you're in control of all things. We need to embrace that we can't control all things. This is something that the Bible would talk about in many different ways, but today we're going to look at the story of a guy named Paul and how he embraces this truth. Let's go there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be, beginning in verse 7. Paul writes this. He says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul, the author of this text, is also the author of literally about half of the New Testament. I mean, this guy was a big deal in the church. He planted and started all kinds of churches all around. If there was a guy who had the right to have an ego, Paul was one of them. But notice what Paul says here. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. See, when we believe that our success or our failure is ultimately dependent upon us, it, it drives us to a place of burnout. In fact, it's really interesting how Paul says it here. He says that this thorn was given to me. If you look in depth at this passage, that idea of being given to him, it's a purpose clause, meaning that Paul is saying that this was given to me for the purpose to keep me from becoming conceited. 
It was a gift from God. Not something that he earned or that he deserved, but a gift that God would give him was this thorn in his flesh that was tormenting him. He embraced the fact that he was not in control of all things. Now you might be saying, well, hold on a second. That doesn't sound like something that God would do. And I want to be clear, I don't, I don't think Paul is talking about terrible things that are happening to us. We're not really sure what the thorn in the flesh actually was, if it was literally a thorn or something else. And I don't believe that God gives us cancer or, or death and natural disasters and earthquakes to keep us from becoming conceited. I think what Paul is talking about here is this. Paul is recognizing his limitations In fact, he's embracing that he's not God, that he's human. And that is actually a good thing for you and me. That we embrace the fact that we have limitation. And burnout seems to happen when we think that we're limitless. When we think we're in control of all things. Instead, we need to embrace that we're not. And this is really difficult to to grasp because this is something that has been the struggle from the beginning of time. If you remember Adam and Eve in the garden, this was the temptation that they were faced with. They, They wanted to be God. But we need to recognize that we're not in control of all things. Paul keeps on going here. He says in verses eight through nine, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I love this. Paul is pleading with God. Three times he asks, can you please take this away from me? And God responds with, no. And it'd be really weird if it just ended there, if that was like the end of the book. But it doesn't. Notice the next words. It says, God responds with, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is being made perfect in the unremoved weakness of the thorn. And what Paul is embracing here is something that we need to embrace. He embraces that there is a different kind of strength available. Uh, To possess it, this this strength that Paul possesses, we have to become weak. And this seems to be so counter-cultural. But Paul embraces that there's a different kind of strength. And And as I think about that, that actually sounds very similar to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus, that that our God, the one that we are singing to, the one that we are worshiping, he displays his strength by becoming weak. We have a God who is not one who just sits on his throne and says, only the strong survive. But instead, we have a God who takes on flesh and comes into our world. It's interesting because this uh, image that Paul's giving us mirrors a story of Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you know the story, it's the night that Jesus is betrayed. And 
and Jesus goes out into the garden, brings some of his disciples along, and he's praying to God. And in Luke twenty-two forty-two, we read that Jesus says these words, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Notice that we have a God who became weak for us to become strong. I mean, think about that for a second. Our God takes on defeat and stress and despair, death on a cross, so that we can experience life through his resurrection. Paul continues back to 2 Corinthians Uh, verse 10. It's so beautiful. He says, for the sake of Christ then, because of what Christ has done, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I'm content in this, that I'm not God. I'm not in control of all things. And that leaves me to the place of where I'm clinging to the one who is, who is limitless, which is God. And Christ becomes my strength. And as we embrace this first perspective change to fight burnout, it leads us to the second, which the second change that we need to embrace is a pattern of rest. If you remember, in the very beginning, when God created all things, he he did it in six days. And then on the seventh day, when he had finished all of his creative work, we read that he rested. He he took a break. He he Sabbathed. And, And this act of God was very intentional. In fact, this act would be something that uh, the followers of Yahweh, the followers of Jesus would embrace as well moving forward, that we too would learn how to rest. See, when you believe that you're not God, it comes with a very practical application that you need rest. In fact, the prophet Isaiah wrote it this way in Isaiah 57, verses 20 through 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up myrrh and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And notice the imagery that Isaiah is giving us here. He says the wicked, are they can't can't take rest. They're like the seas that are constantly moving. And the only thing that they're producing is dirt and swampland. He's saying that we need to embrace the fact that we need a pattern of rest. That in rest, God wants us to contemplate Him and the beauty of who He is. It's interesting because as human beings, we literally cannot live without rest. Uh, In fact, I researched that the longest time that somebody went without sleeping was 264 hours from this guy, Randy Gardner. That's just over 11 days he went without sleeping. And you know what he did to celebrate beating the world record? He took a nap because he was exhausted. We as people, we, we are built to rest. He slept for 14 hours after that 264 hours awake. 
And it was interesting because after that thing, after that had happened, he went on to say that, that as he was having a couple days without sleep, he, he was just an angry person. He was grumpy and annoyed with everyone and everything and just cranky. And anybody who has young children or has worked the overnight shift, you know exactly what he's talking about, right? I mean, we are created to rest. But rest, in, according to the Bible, isn't just like sleep. Rest has some very deep meaning. To, to Sabbath is deeper than just sleeping, In fact, we're commanded to keep the Sabbath, to rest, and keep it holy. What do we mean by that? Well, well, rest means hearing and learning from the Word of God. Hearing and learning about who God is. Rest, according to the Bible, isn't just sleeping, and it's not like binging Netflix for the day or watching The Last Dance for the fifth time. That's 50 hours of television, if you're counting, all right? Rest, according to the Bible, is this this pattern that God had implemented that, that we would learn about our God, learn about who He is and who we are. Uh, that's why resting is, is coming to church. That's why we want you to be here. Uh, resting means that, that we're uh, tuning in to what God has to say. It's, it's not just like scrolling through our Instagram as we're watching something online, that I'm listening to what's being said. Uh, resting is doing devotion and hearing about the promises of God and, and being in a small group and reminding each other about the truths of who God is. And, and it means putting boundaries in our life, trusting in God for our success and also in our failure, having margin in who we are, recognizing who God is and who I am as well. But also, this statement was brought up by our pastors. I think it's really great as we were studying this text that, that we need to work from rest instead of resting from work. This understanding, this biblical concept of rest is that we work from rest instead of rest from work. Do you understand the difference between these two? Oftentimes we view rest as just this crash landing at the end of the week, but instead real rest according to the Bible is that we are being fueled up as we go out. Now, like I said, this is only the tip of the iceberg. We could talk about this for a really long time. And I recognize that one of the hard aspects of this right now is that maybe you're feeling very close to burnout. I mean, maybe you're feeling despair in a very real way because you've lost your job and you're not sure what's next. Or or maybe you're just stressed out because you want things to go back to the way they were, and that seems like it might be a little bit longer. Or, or maybe you're just defeated because you wish you would have planned more in the process. I hope you can hear this out of compassion instead of arrogance, that we as people need to embrace two perspective changes that I'm not in control of everything, and that I need a pattern of rest. 
Because as you embrace this perspective change, I pray that it will lead you to more enthusiasm in your faith instead of apathy towards God. It brought enthusiasm for Paul in the Bible, and I pray that it would bring enthusiasm for us as well as we encounter stress, despair, and defeat. And may we, in a greater way, experience the peace of God. Amen.